there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. If you're interested in branding or marketing or entrepreneurship, this is the episode for you, my friends, because my next guest is all of the above. And like me, he started his promotional marketing company sitting at his kitchen table. And today he employs 70 people with offices all across the U.S. But before I introduce you to Larry Cohen, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's our weekly newsletter that gives you a one-stop shop way of learning about the five episodes we're going to be dropping that week and the guests we're featuring. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time the number four coffee.org and sign up. It's right there on the homepage. Now grab your branded mug and take a chug of a hot and seasonably aromatic brew of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest today is Larry Cohen, the president and CEO of Axis Promotions, a full service marketing agency focused on brand development in in the promotional products marketplace. Axis serves clients from Zappos to Nickelodeon to JetBlue to the USA Network and everyone in between. And he and his partner are ranked by the Advertising Specialist Institute as among the top 50 most influential people in the promotional marketing industry. By the way, this industry is a $22.9 billion industry. Larry, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I sure am. And uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, it is such a thrill for me to have you on the show. And I want to start by telling our listeners just how far back you and I go and how we know one another. Larry has been in my life since I I was probably, I want to say about 20 years old when he started dating my wonderful sister Deirdre when they were undergrads at Duke University. That is completely true. And it's been a pleasure to grow up with you and the rest of your family and my lovely wife Deirdre, who not only is the mother of two awesome kids who are now in college, but also my best friend. So it's been pretty awesome. And this also means that Larry knows we're all the skeletons are buried in my life. And I still trusted him enough not to start talking about all the real winners I dated when I was in college and in my 20s, when I would be crying on his shoulder because another guy had dumped me. I really trust you, Larry, that none of this stuff is going to be coming up during the interview, right? Definitely not the interview. And you know, that's all old past history. We don't need to talk about that. We have so many other things we can talk about now. Yes. But the truth is he does know about all those skeletons and had been such a source of comfort to me when I was all of your age out there going through the highs and lows of being out there on the marketplace. So thank God I found my partner and all is good. So Larry, I want to talk with you about your time as an undergrad at Duke, but a little bit later in the interview, and I want to get into what you studied, which, spoiler alert, was not at all marketing related. But first, let's talk about this incredible business that you have built from scratch, Axis Promotions, which I guess is coming up on about 28 years. Can you start by giving the Time for Coffee community an 
overview of what promotional marketing is and how Axis leverages its expertise in this space to help your clients. Basically, if you if everyone who's listening to this looks around wherever they're sitting now, you're going to see some promotional merchandise. It's basically anything that you put a brand on. Some people have called it swag and and some other less appealing terms, which we prefer not to use. And I think you know if we had an epiphany way back when uh, when we got started was that you know people looked at it as a promotional item and really didn't put any thought behind the strategy behind how you tied in to a brand and how you build brand recognition through the use of promotional items, which obviously brands like Nike and Adidas and Starbucks and, and companies like that obviously build their brand. They have their logo everywhere and the logo is used very consistently, used very strategically. Well, in our industry, there had been a tendency not to put any strategy behind the giveaway. You were going to do a big event and you were going to give something away with your brand on it, but you didn't give a thought about who the target audience was or what the theme was or things like that. And so when I got started, the recognition that I had that because people weren't thinking about it, I could probably convince them that if they put more strategy behind it, they would get a better return on their investment and people would be more appreciative. We'd be creating things that people want to keep as opposed to creating things that people would say, why'd they give this to me or end up creating more landfill, which we are decidedly against. So it is really, you know, the the crux of the business for us is working with our clients. And Andrea mentioned some, and we've worked with very large clients and we work with very small clients. But at the end of the day, it's all about how to use promotional items to build your brand and create a tangible connection between your brand and your target audience. Yeah. Larry, I listened to a couple of other podcast interviews you've done and something that you said in one of those interviews made me really cringe because I realized that I have inadvertently been offending you over the years and I apologize for that. And and frankly, I was just showing my own ignorance about the promotional marketing industry for years. You alluded to it when you said the less appealing terms. It's like tchotchkes or doodads. Exactly. Or trinkets and trash and stuff like that. I mean, truthfully, when we go into a meeting, if somebody uses those terms, my eyes light up because it means that I have an opportunity to educate them. There's lots of empirical data and research on the power of promotional items. Anecdotally, if you, any of your Java junkies out there, like somebody is on the street or at an event and giving them something for free, most people will line up. I mean, it truthfully, the ultimate opt-in advertising because someone offers you something and you take it. You don't have to take it, but people want free stuff and they want to use free stuff and they value free stuff. I think for us, it's just making sure that what's giving away isn't junky or doesn't resonate with the audience that it's being given away to. So you know, an amazing item for someone in college may be the exactly the wrong item for a CEO of a corporation. And the recognition that we can help bring some expertise to helping people make a decision as to what those right items are and sometimes it's not just an item. Sometimes it's a direct mail piece. If you want me to, Andrew, I'm happy to give an example of something we've done. Yeah. Actually, what I was going to ask you to do yeah. is if you could share with our listeners just how valuable promotions can actually be in building a company's brand and in ROI. So maybe give us an example of the strategy that you've worked for a client, whether it be with direct mail or otherwise, and how 
that actually worked for any of your clients at Axis? Here's one that I think people can relate to. So one of our clients is a is a very large food delivery company where you can call up and order your food and have it delivered to you. And one of their issues they were having is they were trying to get in to see decision makers in very large corporations so that they would become the de facto place where people would go and order their lunches. Because a lot of times big corporations are willing to buy you lunch or subsidize your lunch or do some other things. But basically, things that'll make it easier for you. And so one of their challenges is we need to get in and see these people. So we developed this direct mail piece that was a beautiful custom printed box with some messaging on the outside. And inside we had a drone. You know, the whole concept revolved around delivery, which tied in and all the messaging tied in and the copy tied in. But the kicker was we didn't include the remote control in the box so that people got this great drone, but they did not get the remote control and they had agreed to meet with the salesperson. We know from our clients that they closed the biggest deal they ever closed based upon this direct mail piece that got them in the door to see people. And we have been doing stuff like that really almost since the beginning. And it could be everything from companies like that to we work with a lot of media companies, you know, helping them get more FaceTime with their advertisers to the fashion world where we're doing gift with purchases. So if you go into a department store and you buy perfume and they give you a free gift or a free toiletry bag or a free cosmetic bag or things like that, oftentimes that is us making those things. And the free gift sometimes can help people make the decision between buying one cologne or one perfume versus the other. So it's an aggressive marketplace out there that people are trying to kind of cut through the clutter and the promotional merchandise can really help people do that. Something you said in, again, one of these other podcast interviews, Larry, really stuck with me. And it's that promotional marketing is one of the only parts of the marketing industry that actually touches all five senses. That is such a cool way of thinking about it. Yeah. And I, you know, so I mentioned it's the ultimate opt-in advertising. There's no limit to what I can sell to clients because we don't have a specific product and we don't make a specific product. Our job is to come up with ideas. So there are literally hundreds of thousands of products out there. We do a tremendous business in food and we have an amazing food manufacturer that is like, it's like going to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory where they do custom chocolate and they make their own popcorn and they do all this amazing food. You deal with smell and taste there. Like if, you know, there's tangible items. I mean, everything we do is tangible in certain ways. We do things that relate to sound because people love technology. So we're doing tremendous numbers of Bluetooth speakers. So really there's nothing that we can't do that won't touch somebody somewhere. And the idea is to make sure that whatever we do will resonate with them. If we're going to do food, it's got to be great tasting food because you know when you eat great tasting food, you associate positive things with the brand that you are doing. If you get a, an amazing speaker and it sounds great and you use it on the beach, it's a constant reminder. If you get an amazing piece of drinkware that you carry with you to the gym every day and it doesn't leak in your bag, those are all positive things. And so I often say for dealing with clients, I think of three things. I want you to use it. I want you to like it enough to re-gift it, or I want to put a smile on your face. If I can do any one of those three things, I'm going to create a positive connection between your brand and this promotional item and the audience. And if we can do that, then we are well on our way to success. Great. Larry, I just want to let our 
listeners know because they are definitely using their auditory sense right now. There's like a high pitched beeping or something going on in the background. Could you at least tell us what that is? <laughs> well, <laughs> this often happens. I'm located in New York City, very close to Fifth Avenue. And oftentimes it is either trucks coming by. Don't be surprised if you hear a fire truck come by. It's just the sounds of the city. Great. Okay. Sorry about that. No, hey, this is the real world. Before I ask you about how you started access from your kitchen table, which is, by the way, where I work most of the time on Time for Coffee. Could you talk to those T4C listeners who are still in college, like your sons, Jake and Dylan, or maybe just graduated and are thinking that, hmm, maybe I'd like to get into the promotional marketing industry or just the marketing industry. From your almost 30 years in this industry, Larry, what are the qualities of the kind of young professional who would be well-suited to this line of work? Do they need to have creativity like oozing out of their pores? I don't think they have creativity oozing out of their pores because I'm creative in one way, yet John, who's our graphic designer, is creative in a completely different way. So I think for people to be successful in this industry, I think they need to have confidence, they need to have attention to detail. I think you need to be curious about product and about ideas and be willing to put yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit because there's a couple of things. I think sometimes when I talk to people, I say the thing that I love the most about this business is also sometimes the thing that can be the most challenging, which is every day is different and you're never going to walk into the office at any day and say, I know everything about everything there is to know about my job because we are constantly looking at new products. We are constantly seeing suppliers bringing new things for us to see. We are shopping at retail. We are looking at fashion trend, that kind of curiosity that makes this industry so appealing to so many people because you're not pigeonholed. You can sell to any type of client that you want to. I do think that you probably need to want to be somebody who wants to engage with people. And I don't want to call it necessarily selling because I think sometimes selling takes on a bad thing for some people because they associate it with people in industries where they're pushy. We're not pushy at all, but I think ultimately for people coming out of school, everything you're going to do is sales. You're going to be selling yourself. You're going to be selling a product. You're going to be selling an idea. And ultimately, for the people to be really successful is you're going to have to be selling concepts to your clients. You're going to have to be willing to dig deeper with them into why you want to do something and and push them on certain things. So I don't think it's necessarily a skill that you have to learn, but I think it's a personality trait that makes people successful. So they need to be comfortable interfacing with other people, for sure. That's like absolutely foundational to breaking into this industry. Yeah, and I think it's the best part of the job, right? I mean, if, you, if you're a person who just wants to sit at your desk all day long, there are definitely pieces of our company where people love doing that. I mean, we have some people who work on more process-related stuff for us. They love that part of their job. Me personally, I couldn't stand it. It doesn't mean you have to be creative or you have to be outgoing. It just depends on what element of the industry that you want to be involved in. We build e-commerce sites for our clients and these are more usually more internally facing, although there are some that are externally facing. So the people who are involved in helping to build those stores and to manage the inventories and all of that, they are more naturally inward facing because that's what they do. But they also get on the calls with clients on a weekly or monthly basis and they're reviewing what's successful, what's not successful. So I think everybody here has client interaction at some point or another. And I think that part's important. All right, Larry, drum roll, please. Let us 
flash back to the early 80s when you were an undergrad at Duke. Larry Cohen, what was your major and what did you think you were going to do when you graduated? I was pre-med and I was a poli-sci major, so definitely not completely linearly focused on being a doctor, but was 97% sure that's what I was going to do. I was an EMT on a rescue squad. I worked in hospitals. I helped with autopsies and I loved all of that stuff. And I had amazing mentors my whole life and took the MCATs and got accepted to medical school. And as I was trying to figure out which school to go to, I I had reached back out to some of my mentors and the mentoring didn't end because they started saying, look, the profession of medicine is really changing. And we hate to tell you this, but we're not sure we would do it again. And so as a person a few weeks away from graduation, that was shocking to me because I knew that once I went to medical school, I was going to have another eight years of education and internship and residency ahead of me. And it really gave me pause to say, why am I going to do this? And if the mentors who I really trusted were telling me that they wouldn't do it again, is this the path I really wanted to go down? And so I decided to defer for a year, was very lucky to have parents who were really supportive of that decision and not pressuring me into going down that path. And also supportive, very lucky to have an amazing amazing dean who I'd gotten to know when I was at Duke. And he said to me, look, you've never been the traditional pre-med guy. He was the poli-sci dean. And he said, take a year off. But if I were you, I would go to either law school and focus on business-related stuff or go get your MBA because I think ultimately it'll help propel you later on in life. And it was great advice. I ended up working for a year, taking the LSAT and ended up going to Penn Law. It was great. Yeah. Before I get into post-college time for you, Larry, could you quickly just give Java Junkies an overview of any of the extracurricular activities that you were involved in that in hindsight you think actually were skills that you were honing that were useful to you once you got out into the working world? You know, one, I grew up in a family that was was pretty entrepreneurial. And I think that may not be extracurricular, but my family, as I said, was entrepreneurial. And they gave my brother and I opportunities as young kids to go out and sell or learn how to negotiate things. And Andrea, if you you want me to go into any stories there, I'm happy to do that. Yeah, I Um, think that would be great because I, I also think, and I'm so glad you brought that up, that there may be things that are happening in your life right now that you don't think of as being apprenticeships or training or whatever, just because of maybe the family business or an uncle or an aunt or somebody that you come into contact with who is in an industry and you're just soaking it in through osmosis. So my dad started his own company and I was working for him one summer and he pointed out something out in the field. And he said, see that big water tank out there? He said, that's worth a lot of money. And I know it's been sitting there for a long time and I know they want to get rid of it. He goes, I could buy it and sell it, but how about why don't you do that? So I'll tell you who owns it and I'll give you three people that I think would buy it. And I'm going to give you a range that you should buy it for. And I'll give you a range of what you should sell it for. But once we do this, the rest is up to you. And so one, I called the person who owned it and I negotiated. And then I got on the phone and pretty quickly sold it and ended up as a 15 or 16 years old and made like $3,000 on this. But the point wasn't the money. And the point for my father was getting the confidence enough to call a stranger and offer to buy something and not accepting what they first want to sell it to you at. And then calling and negotiating the sale 
on the other side. And I look back at the success of where I am today and those types of lessons that he taught me, like giving me those types of experiences were invaluable. I also watched him in his business, help people out when they needed help and lend people money when they needed money, not with paperwork and not with anything else, but other than a handshake. And I think about those things all the time. It's experiences like that and which led me to my next kind of extracurricular activity, which was amazing at the time because I was actually the Coors Beer representative at Duke University. I was hired by Coors and the local beer distributorship to sell Coors beer on campus. The drinking age was 18. And so my job was to go to the fraternities and sell them kegs of beer. And then if there were sponsorship opportunities on campus to do that. So selling beer to college kids, not the most difficult thing in the world, but my competitor was the Budweiser guy. So we were the two guys on campus who were competing for that. But again, it involved marketing. It involved a little bit of advertising. My picture would show up in the newspaper, meet Larry Cohen, your Coors beer representative. You know, basketball players used to call me Mr. Coors. People out there who are listening, the only reason I got that job is because, you know, I was playing tennis and met a guy. And he said, what do you do? And I said, well, I go to Duke. He goes, oh, funny you should mention Duke. We're looking for a beer representative. And because I stopped and talked to him, because I was outgoing, because I was willing to have a conversation with a total stranger, it turned into a really well-paying job for three years of college. It's amazing to think I've known you 35 years. That's the first time I'm hearing that story. Larry, I want to switch to when you started Axis. I've already alluded to the fact that you started it at your kitchen table. And in addition to cooking lots of delicious soups, because Larry's a great cook, by the way, you started, correct me if I'm wrong, with an idea to sell binoculars at sporting events. Was it was it to sell them to the NBA? Yes. And I was actually still an attorney at the time. So fast forward, went to Penn Law, graduated, was working as an attorney and had this idea. And again, I didn't know there was even a promotional product. And I just knew that I go to athletic events and they give away stuff. And I was thinking, well, wouldn't it be great if someone gave you a pair of binoculars? Now, it doesn't have to be the most amazing pair of binoculars, but anything to improve your viewership of the game. So we sourced those binoculars overseas and someone in the family knew one of the owners of the Washington Bullets and they made an introduction and I went and met with him. And he was like, this is such a great idea. He literally called the number two person at the NBA while I was sitting there. And that person said, wow, this is a fantastic idea. And they said, can you fly up to New York tomorrow? So I didn't know anything about the promotional products industry. I wasn't really sure how we were going to do everything to get all the binoculars and stuff like that. But flew up, met with the NBA. They loved the idea. And about six months later, I quit my job as an attorney and then began my two or three years, I guess, of working solo, first in Maryland. Maryland, and then we moved to New York for my wife's job, and the rest is history. So how long did it take you before you started actually making money? It took a while. I would say probably took at least a couple of years because any money you make is kind of going back into the business. You're not making a lot at the time. But I also knew that the making money part wasn't always the biggest concern because I knew that I wanted to build something bigger. And the interesting part of the story, and, and not to get away from the, the money making part, was once you realize that it's not a great business to be a one product company, I started to expanding out into other areas. And my next meeting was with somebody at American Express that I knew who called and said they needed mugs and they needed 10,000 mugs. And I was like, my head, I was going, I have no idea where to get mugs. I'm a smart guy. I can figure this out. And 
I did. And someone goes, you know, the whole industry built around this. He said, come to this trade show with me. I flew to Dallas and I walked onto the trade show floor and I was like blown away. First of all, how big the industry was, but how many different amazing products there were. And I got the program for the 10,000 mugs and it was for American Express. And to this day, American Express, all those years later, still a very large client for us. But again, I started asking people questions about themes, target audiences, demographics, typical marketing questions. And everyone's reaction was befuddlement because they were like, why are you asking marketing questions? You're just the giveaway. And I was like, but you realize that this may be the most valuable part of your marketing because it's the only thing that's going to last. Think about the world you live in today, like banner ads, who really pays attention, pop-up ads, who pays attention, billboard ads, you drive by really fast, magazines, you flip the next page. But if I give you a great item that you love, whether it's an amazing bag or amazing piece of drinkware or amazing piece of apparel that you wear regularly, you are looking at my brand over and over and over again. And I don't mean my brand, Axis's brand, I mean the client's brand. That's an amazingly powerful thing. And I think for for me, it was a validation of my vision a little bit. And it was a, a way for me to get people to stop thinking about promotional merchandise as just the giveaway, but to really make it part of a strategy in their overall marketing and branding. So, Larry, I try to ask all Time for Coffee guests this question, and it is... Can you share a time in your professional life when you really struggled? And frankly, it may have been when you worked for that first law firm after graduating for Penn, or maybe it was the early days of access. How did you persevere and what lessons did you learn in the process? And I want to stress that the reason that I ask successful people like you this question is that I want Time for Coffee listeners to really appreciate that there will be ups and downs in their professional lives as well as their personal lives. And this is normal and not to see it as a failing on their part, but rather something they should just get mentally prepared for because more often than not, what's going to happen is you're going to come out stronger as a result. I would say for me, that period of time. I mean, the low part was when I decided not to go to medical school and really trying to figure out what I was going to do. Keep in mind that if you have the luxury of being able to zig and zag and try new things out and not feel like everyone's expecting you go from point A to point B to point C to point D, life doesn't really work that way. So here I went from making a really frothy salary as an attorney to go and making zero, right? Risky time in a life, but didn't have kids. And at that point was married and had a wife who was supportive. But again, when you're sitting there every day by yourself trying to figure it out, there's a lot of low moments in those periods. So it's just part of the journey and it's part of the continuum. And even when I started the company, there were so many other things that I was doing, one, to make money and two, to test out and validate what I was doing, that it wasn't just, I'm going to start this company and I knew exactly what I was going to do. I was testing new messaging. I was testing new things. I knew I didn't want to be the person who was selling just this one item all the time. And look, we are about a $50 million a year company now. We have lots of employees. I mean, there's still low moments in the business. And there were times where we were in Soho when 9-11 happened. So we were not very far from there. And you know, we didn't know what business was going to be like after that. Amex was one of our biggest clients. The part of the tower was destroyed. I mean, you have to be flexible. You have to be dedicated. You have to work hard. But you also have to have a vision that's going to 
propel you through those things. I am very fortunate that part of my personality trait is my glass is almost always filled with kind of positive energy and anything negative, I want to deal with it and then I want to keep moving forward because I think negative energy is, is just a big time suck and doesn't really do anything. So you know, I try to focus in on the positive aspects and then try to really focus in on what it's going to take to get from the next point that I am shooting for. I love that, Larry. I love having an attitude where the glass is almost always full or overflowing. And I can totally validate that as somebody who's known you for 35 years, I have never seen you sweat the small stuff. You are always somebody who's just radiating positive energy. So it's another one of the reasons I love being around you. Final time for coffee question. If you could go back to Duke and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom that you have now, what advice would you give yourself, Larry? I probably would have taken some different classes. I don't think I would have changed anything that I would have done in terms of my career. Again, I was pre-med, so I was really focused in on my grades and everything else. And I think I took some some classes that were like, I'd look back and I'm like, why did I take that class? And I probably took it because someone said it was an easy A or I didn't want to have to do these things. And I probably would have pushed myself a little bit harder to take classes a little bit more out of my comfort zone and maybe take them and not care as much about grades. Looking back, there are definitely things that I would have taken differently. And, and there may have been some clubs I would have gotten more involved with. Looking back now, it would have been great to be involved in the marketing club. And I'm sure there's plenty of those at different universities. And I know Duke now has a group that helps plan the events on campus. So I could look back at things that interest me now that I would probably try, but I wouldn't change a whole lot about what I did because they made me who I am today. And I think if you start picking apart all the things negatively or positively, you'd be a different person. And I'm kind of happy where I am in life and family and everything else. And I'm happy to say that I'm happy, which is (laughs) great. (laughs) Well, one of the many reasons that I wanted to interview you today, Larry, and I want to thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. I think You are just a really remarkable guy, and I'm just so happy to have you in my life. Thank you. Andrew, it's been a pleasure for the last 35 years to have you in my life as well. And it's been an amazing journey. And I'm looking forward to the amazing journey that we're going to continue going on. I think you have done a remarkable job in terms of building this amazing Time for Coffee community. And people are lucky to have people like you out there who are reaching out and trying to really bring to the forefront all the amazing things that people are doing with their careers. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7 no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.